welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella with a breaking news edition. We've got the biggest story in months, maybe even a year in professional surfing. Eric Logan is out as the WSL's CEO in the middle of the Brazil event. Really interesting circumstances, and Buck and I are about to break it all down. We've also got some other news from this week, including the private wave pool model that is thriving in Brazil. You probably saw it this week, but we're going to break it all down for you. We're also going to have a stab interview with Italo Ferreira. Unfortunately, we don't have any audio bites because it's all in Portuguese, but Buck and I are going to do our best to break it down. Uh, we're also going to talk about biofoam. People are out there now making polyurethane foam out of different materials that could be a lot better for the earth and not much worse for our surfing. So with that, we're also going to have a surf sin and a few other things bumping around. But the big story is obviously Elo. Let's get straight into it. Let's drop it. Wow. Mikey, I woke up this morning and I read a text from you. Good morning and surprise, you've officially woken up in the post-ELO era. And then I checked the other 300 messages varying from email to Slack to text to WhatsApp, and we are in a post-ELO era. Holy shit, that came out of fucking nowhere. Truly nowhere. I mean, there have been talks about changes. You even hinted at this happening, and I don't think you knew exactly that this was going to happen. And... Uh, it's just really, it's the suddenness of it all that brings so many questions. Like we're not just in the middle of a season, you know, and he's the CEO of a professional sports league. We're in the middle of an event and that's pretty unheard of. It really basically makes you think that something specific happened. It is. And we have been fishing around. I mean, to be honest, Usually when WSL news breaks, whether it's like that kind of petition stuff or any change they're making, it's not hard for us to get information. A lot of people, we know who to talk to. People hear things and you hear things before anything is released publicly. And it's usually not that hard. This one is stumping people. Um, One thing we do know is that I look back at the last two CEOs and what happened when the WSL parted ways with them, with uh, Paul Speaker and Sophie Goldschmidt. Both of those were like seven, 800-word press releases with nice quotes from the former CEO, nice quotes from Dirk Ziff, just really positive, praiseful things. This, there's one line that mentions that ELO and the WSL are over. So we don't know what it is, but it sounds like something really funky happened. Yeah. um, I mean, I guess, yeah, at at this point that we're publishing this, nothing has come to light yet. We, the WSL hasn't said anything beyond that press release. Uh, We're in the middle of the second day of competition at Brazil. And as far as I know, the commentators haven't made any mention of it. So we're kind of just all in the dark right now. And I mean, something obviously will come to light at some point. It's hard to know if maybe they're keeping their cards close to their chest because there could be some sort of legal reasons to do so. But yeah, this, it, man, it's really, really tough. Like, I hate to assume the worst, but I don't really know what else to think at this point. Yeah, it seems, it seems really strange. Like I said, there's been a lot of crazy WSL news in the last few years, and usually we, we get information, people know things, it's easy to kind of collate information. This, nobody seems to know anything. Um, like I said, so we looked back, we we looked at those old press releases, which 
seemed to, it was just weird that there's just nothing there. We know that currently the comments on Eric Logan's Instagram have been disabled, which is a move that people often do when trouble comes knocking. Um, that's kind of it. That's all we know. We're speaking about 13 hours after that press release went out, so it's still super fresh. We're still digging into it. Um, I guess there is some interesting time with the sale rumor and with what's been happening with you know Philippe, Gabriel, and Italo calling them out on Instagram. I don't think this is related to that. It seems like something really urgent happened, so we will keep you posted. And in the meantime, we know that the interim CEOs, or they're not calling them that, interim leaders are Emily Hofer and Bob Kane. Emily has been involved with their HR for some time and Bob more on legal matters. So they are overseeing it, but it does seem like they're gonna be looking for a new CEO. Perhaps we'll have a story unpacking who that could be. But for now, I guess we're gonna focus on finding more information just regarding what happened with this this split. So huge one. I've never I've never had a story feel like this. Yeah, well, I mean, even to your point when like Brody Carr had to resign as a result of the Kelly world title announcement that wasn't actually a world title announcement mishap, it wasn't like this. And the fact, I don't know, maybe even the fact too that the two people that they're putting in charge are potentially the two people that are the ones having to deal with this issue directly, HR and legal, is interesting. I don't know if there's a connection there, if those are just two like stable set of hands that they feel comfortable with. But yeah, so we obviously don't know exactly what's going on here, but we do have a little breakdown of what Elo's time at the WSL did look like. So he came over from the Oprah Winfrey Network. He was the president over there, and I think he had a major impact and like basically brought that network back to life. So the WSL hired them in 2019 as their president of content. And that meant that he came in trying to basically start a WSL media house, which they called WSL Studios, which is now defunct. But anyway, about a year into his tenure at the WSL, he was named CEO in January 2020, following the departure of the WSL's former leader, Sophie Goldschmidt. And in this time, we know that Eric has overseen a complete rethink of the WSL's competitive circuit, including the creation of a three-tiered qualification system, the CT's mid-year cut, and the WSL finals. We are aware that a lot of those changes started to happen, or at least conversations started to happen before he was there, but still he was at the helm when it all went down. And he also helped broker deals for surf-based programming on major television networks like The Ultimate Surfer on ABC and Make or Break on Apple TV+. So those are some of the main things that I think ELO will be remembered for. And there's a long list of others, too, that I think we're going to do a piece kind of detailing his successes and failures at some point on the site. But yeah, um, it's basically been four years for ELO at the WSL, or just under four years. And now he's making a swift exit. So to be determined what he does next and what sort of the fallout is of this entire situation. It feels like a lot is still changing to me. Like, I, I know I've been saying I, I feel that something is going to change. I don't think this is it. Whether it is, like, a re-looking at the finals or a change of ownership, I think there's more coming on the WSL front. But this is obviously huge news, and I guess we just play as it comes because there's a lot on. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to do our best in the coming week to basically answer a lot of the questions that we have. And some of those include... Was it Eric's decision to leave, or did the WSL push him out? Um, what is with the timing here? We mentioned, you know, it's the middle of the season, but it's also the middle of an event. And, like, 
you also have to consider, I mean, it's six lay days they had in Sakurama um, from the last day that they ran till today when they're running again. And that is a lot of time to like, I don't know, for something to happen, essentially. Like when you're working and it's just like intense competition days, like you're so focused, I would imagine, like everything that you do is just making sure that, you know, the clocks run on time and that everything goes as planned. But six days where you're kind of just sitting on your hands leaves a lot of room for human error. Uh, another question we have is who's going to fill this seat? Obviously, we talked about the people that are the interim CEOs, but the WSL has clearly stated that they're in a the process of identifying a new CEO. So, you know, it's a question of will they promote from within, maybe a Dave Prodan or Jesse Miley Dyer, or will they go with their traditional route, or at least the last two CEOs, and pick someone from outside of surfing to come in? And yeah, to your point, does Elo's departure have anything to do with what happened at the Surf Ranch or the WSL's talks of a sale? We know that they've been in multiple meetings with people uh, discussing turning the WSL over to somebody else. So sometimes a change in leadership is required there to show kind of how serious you are. But again, the urgency of this doesn't strike me as that's the main reason why. So we're going to do our best to answer those questions. And uh, hopefully next week we'll have something really good for you. The private wave pool model is thriving in Brazil. As we saw this week. Well, you know what provoked this story? Yeah, is uh, a little something. It's been one of those weird comps where there's just that big chunk. Like, I feel like when you get to the back half of tour and you can do the events in three days, it's even weirder when it's not just a rapid fire. Like, when you get these big gaps, you know? Um we saw action, what, the first or second day of the waiting period, and now it looks like it's going to be the last two, and it's just always a weird comp, especially, like, everybody's still there. Yeah, it's just the elimination round. Well, everyone except for Steph and uh, somebody else lost. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, it's just a weird one when it's like that. What can you do? It's the wave's fault. But um, when there are no waves, and it's a weird event where you run a little bit and then have essentially a week off, people get creative. They have some fun. Some people wrestle other people in forms of the martial arts. That's not what we're here to talk about today, Mikey. We're here to talk about a little private jet to a private wave pool action, baby. Yeah, we are. So, during this stretch of lay days, we know that Italo Ferrer, Carissa Moore, Steph Gilmore, Ryan Callanan, and Gabriel Bryan flew on a private jet to the Perfect Swell pool at Boa Vista Village. Um, fuck me, does that thing look fun. That is an American Wave Machines pool... <laughs> It's the one where you must remember when Evan Geiselman was, I think, some of the first footage we saw was of him surfing it, and it's the multiple air section one. Pretty much since then, Italo is doing surfing that I don't think people can even comprehend. I think it just is a league of its own, what he's doing on that thing that I don't think it even gets the love it deserves because nobody has context to to even understand it properly. So they all went out there. And that coincided with a little deep dive into the private wave pool model in Brazil, which is, as the title suggests, absolutely fucking thriving. Yes, it is. And it was interesting to read some of the reasoning behind that. So um, Evan Cornstorm wrote this, but he talked to Steve Elaine, who, as you know, is the voice of Stab in the Dark and a former editor at Stab. 
And he also has another piece that we're going to talk about soon. But Steve said that the price of entry for a public pool would be really high for Brazilians, and investors think that they would have to charge too much for it to be viable. So Brazil, like a lot of countries um, in South and Central America, has a really big wealth like distribution gap, basically. like The rich are really rich, and the poor are pretty poor. So if you opened it to everyone, you know, the price on these wave pools, at least in the U.S., is over like $100 for an hour. And the average Brazilian wouldn't be able to pay for that. But the 1% of Brazilians are going to be able to pay for it and in a really different manner. It's not like they're just paying for sessions. They're basically paying for this with, uh, you know, residences and homeowner association fees. Yeah, it's super interesting. And as this suggests, that is working really well. I mean... Did you go to the one, the Fazenda de Grama? Didn't you go after Seven the Dark? Oh, I sure did. I had a 15-hour layover in Sacarema, and Steve got me on with this guy, Paolo, who helps run the Fazenda de Grama, or as the wave is called, Praia de Grama. And it was so much fun. It is the uh, Wave Garden tech, so that was the first time I ever surfed Wave Garden. I went there, I surfed my brains out for like six hours, and then went back to the airport and flew home. A very happy man. But it was really interesting seeing this because it very much is a private place. It's like it's in this whole community. Only members of the community are able to surf the pool. So, you know, the Wave Garden obviously has the right and the left that run concurrently on either side of the pool. I would say there was never more than 10 person, 10 people on a side. And another crazy thing is like, I know we've talked about this in theory and now it's really becoming reality, but... I remember I met this one guy there, unfortunately I forget his name, but he basically, he said that he'd been an athlete his whole life, but he'd always lived in the city, so he was never able to get into surfing. He said he'd tried it once or twice when he was a kid, when he went to the beach, but it wasn't something he'd ever been consistent about. And when he heard that Fazenda de Grama was going to have a wave pool, he immediately put in an investment to uh, get a house there and decided to live there and base his life out of there. And now he surfs the pool at every chance he gets. He's been at it for about a year and a half, and he's already getting barreled, connecting turns, even trying little airs. So it, it really is crazy the development people can have in a short time in these things, especially when you have the private model and you get to surf it kind of whenever you want with nobody out. Yeah, yeah. And this story breaks down the different types of the private models. Um, we do know in some of these cases in Brazil, the Fazenda de Grama houses are costing between 2 and 3 mil USD. Uh, Boa Vista, where, is, where everybody went, is between 1 and 2 mil. So basically, the model seems to be buy a bunch of land, build a bunch of sweet houses, get a sweet wave pool there. And um, I mean, I don't, this is not going to be unique to Brazil. This is going to happen fucking everywhere because there are people with money that are very keen on this. I mean, just imagine, it's like the dream. If you have money, what what are you going to do? Go get caught in an avalanche heli skiing instead? No, go do this. It's better. It's probably more fun. So yeah, it's the same thing they've been doing with golf courses and, and tennis clubs forever, right? It's just now surfing has the ability to be one, put anywhere and two, actually controlled in terms of who can go in and who can't because the ocean is obviously like a public entity. The interesting thing is too, that the, the, the real estate play isn't the only thing. Like there are some other pools in Brazil that are toying with like the complete just membership option which is you don't live there you don't have a house there but you pay a yearly membership to access it and book your slots that's looking like it's going to be roughly 120k usd so again 
it's for uh it's for people that are cashed up but guess what the ocean's free i was just i was enjoying it and there's plenty of children around to try to surf better than one more question before we get out of here though on this on this private jet thing do you think ethan ewing got invited oh interesting question because he's in this story because he's in this story in the lay day story and i what do you think i okay do you think he got invited to go well, to that here's pool? what i do know um the day that they were doing the grand opening the event was put on hold multiple times so they didn't outright call the event off which actually made it really tricky because boa vista was they planned their grand opening during the event window purposefully with the hopes that they could get some CT surfers there. But obviously that was dependent upon whether or not the event was running that day. So they found out that it was on hold and then on hold and then on hold. So they lost a few surfers that might've been competing that day. Uh, and then eventually got called off and they got as many of the surfers as they could onto the plane. Ethan Ewing won his first round heat. So I doubt that he was one of the surfers that was sort of feeling on edge about whether he could stay or go because he wasn't gonna compete in the next men's round. So either he got the invite and just didn't want it, or he didn't get the invite at all. And I would imagine they gave it to him because Ethan's a very lovely person. And I also know that Rob Kelly works with the uh, Perfect Swell folks, and he's Billabong and Ethan's Billabong. And Italo as well has a connection to Boa Vista, um, where he gets to train in there for free, basically. He has some sort of deal with them. So I would imagine Ethan got the invite, but maybe he just wanted to train jujitsu to see if he could fend off those keyboard warrior, warriors, as Jacob Wilcox said. I'm gonna, I want to change my bet then, because if you decide to wrestle some guy and say surf that pool, then you are determined and you are on to something great. So if he denied it to go train jujitsu, probably get lit up because people are so good at it there. Uh, Ethan, 2023. This stab interview with Italo Ferreira. I'm going to come out of the gates with this stat here. This interview in Italo's mind took four months to complete. Um, he has a line in here saying that 30 minutes to him is like a month, and this was a two-hour conversation. So <laughs> we sat him down for four months <laughs> when he was doing stab in the dark, and this is the result of that. Four months. Can you believe that? Well, he did say while we were there that this is the longest interview that he'd done since his film came out a couple years ago. He had to do a long interview for that. And, Buck, if you had to put your money on it, do you think it was Stab or this high-end production company that created Italo's biopic, or biopic, I never know how to say that word, uh, that forgot to turn the microphones on? Biopic. Yes. Yes. Somehow it was them. They, they forgot to turn the mic on for Italo's two-hour interview. I think they still managed to salvage it by pulling um, the camera's native audio files, but they basically told Italo at the very end, like, oh, man, we're That's so incredible. sorry. We, we totally fucked That's up. That's incredible. And he's like, yeah, sorry, I'm not doing that again. Figure it wow. out. Wow. <laughs> wow. We should do that with our uh, drop episode with Luke Cederman that we recorded at 3 a.m. near a statue. <laughs> anyway, congrats. Congrats on hitting record always an honor when you do it correctly and you don't think that you turn it off when you're supposed to turn it on that trick nice job and uh i loved this interview it is i learned a lot it isn't 
built as a Q&A. I mean, when you have a two-hour slash four-month conversation, so when you talk for that long, it's kind of, I think, easier for the reader when you go through just section-by-section section topics. So good read and um, some takeaways, Mikey. I mean, I have some I have some things I really, really agree with him on here that he laid out. Yeah, like what? But I'd like to hear yours first. Oh, okay. Well, mine, I mean, it's really cool because this really goes through each of those whole past, present, and future. I mean, it's a full, like... Italo interview like it's you know it's quote-unquote the stab interview with Italo Ferrer and it really gets through everything but it's really interesting to me how even winning a world title and more importantly winning the Olympics like obviously he's really happy to have done that but even he says when people come up to him and say oh man I can't believe you did that so amazing you know congratulations and he says yeah but that's in the past only museums live in the past and he's really focused on what's next. And obviously right now he's in a fight to get into the top five. You think he's going to win Brazil, which would probably put him into a good position there um, so that he can win the world title. And ultimately, maybe even more importantly, get a qualification spot for the 2024 Olympics. Because as we know, he's the past champion. And as of now, he is not in a position to even qualify for the Brazilian team. There are a few things that could happen that could allow him to still get in, like if the uh, Brazilian men's team wins the 2024 ISA World Games. But surely he's thinking, man, I at least need a chance to defend my gold title. So just think about how much he is really always focused on what's next i guess makes sense when you kind of like see him surf and see everything he does but uh it's cool to hear him verbalize it in that way but what did you like what did you learn i liked him talking about both the world title and the olympics the wins like it's just fascinating to me the psychology of it like when he was talking about the olympics he just said that he had this this feeling he knew you know he said he was the least stressed he's been in an event for that he just knew he was going to win and that's fucking fascinating to me because how do you create that feeling? Like how, I, I don't understand how you could like, because I'm sure he doesn't have that feeling a lot. I don't know how you kind of get the mind to feel that way. It's just, that was really interesting hearing how he broke that down. Also hearing his psychology heading into the showdown with Gabe at Pipe. So I really like that. But I think the thing I agreed with the most was his wave catching philosophy. He talks about how he just tries to pretty much stand up on anything and he'll go down the beach because he can get more waves there, even if it's worse quality. He even does that at pipe. He said he'll just go to off the wall. Um, that's the best. That is, that is, I think, the best approach to surfing in the world. That's how you do it. And um, it made me happy to read it. Yeah, and I also agreed with uh, what he sees in his future after he's done with surfing. And oh, yeah. yeah. He plans to... Well, should we even tell him? Or Yeah, I guess we'll tell him. Italo Ferreira is going to become a world-class bodybuilder, which makes sense. And I, I just can't wait to see him like 300 pounds of pure muscle, just still just stomping air reverses in the flats. He talks about just loving the town where he grew up and, you know, hey, I, I can live wherever I want. I choose here. So he'll just be in that town, buy a Formosa, just fucking ripped and it's going to be great i hope he's still doing toats imagine just like he can't even do grabs anymore because he's lost flexibility <laughs> so we're here for it go read it can biofoam save surfers from environmental hypocrisy it might be able to i think it could i mean this story comes at 
the best modern attempts to replace PU, which to me is kind of a question to begin with. Um, we'll get there. We'll get there. I'm going too deep off the off the jump, but there have been some big breakthroughs specifically in the fields of both. Well, bio is referencing just organic materials and stuff that can grow and can be put back into the earth. And then a lot of recycled materials too that are getting quite close to making blanks just like the ones made of horrible chemicals that we're all used to. Mikey, what was your take on this? My take was I thought this story was going to be pretty boring, as environmental stuff tends to be, for me at least. But I found it really fascinating. Um, They're talking about two main brands here. One out of Europe called Polyola, and another that I think most of us probably know pretty well called Arctic Foam, which is based out of the U.S. They also have a manufacturing plant in Canada, or sorry, not Canada, Mexico. And yeah, so Polyola is, like you said, they're basically, they figured out a way to take old things, recycle them, and turn them into PU blanks. They're still PU, right? That was what I understood from reading it. Well, Mikey, I'm happy you asked. The common polyurethane blank is made up of a combination of two liquids, polyol and PDI, which is a word that I am not even going to try to pronounce. Which both these are mostly produced from fossil fuels. So basically, PU foam simplified is chemicals and chemical reactions just in a mold, right? They take these things that are going to react and kind of grow in a certain way that's going to give them a certain density and weight and all the things that are good for surfboards, right? I mean, PU we could do a lot with. Like I think a lot of furniture has PU, like the cushions in your couch might be made of polyurethane foam as well but just a different blend of it that's designed to support that need so yes it's recyclable but i think the other big breakthrough is that they're they're finding ways especially with the polyol to use natural materials to create those reactions they're coming up with different blends to essentially arrive at a product that feels like the surfboard foam that we're used to And then on top of that, a lot of the materials that they're also putting into it that aren't natural are recycled. A lot of it comes from the, I think, shipping, like packaging industry. And then, yes, a big part of what they're doing, too, is the ability to continue recycling this foam. So if you break your board, it's not quite there yet. But the theory, the the work is there. But in theory, in the future, there will be places where you can drop that board back off to make sure that it's pump back into their system becomes another surfboard which is fucking huge that is um that's great and the fact that like so i think circular surfboard economy yeah i think polyola did a lot of the heavy lifting here which is not to say that arctic didn't do their own thing i know that they're messing with the story actually gets into it they're messing with different ways to get that reaction with some algae and then they're doing a nut blank they wouldn't tell us the nut but they said it is edible um, so they're messing with natural materials to try to replace some of this toxic stuff as well. And they're having some success, but they seem really on board with what Polyol is doing. And it sounds like that could be a collaboration coming. Whereas cause Polyol is just making boards here in the EU. Um, it'll be fucking huge if Arctic really picks it up, which my sense is that they will, um, how far or how long it will take until it's super popular around the world. I don't know. But Well, I have a feeling about that. So the downsides of this foam, from what I understand right now, are the color, which when you add biomaterial to it, it basically makes it a shade of brown. 
So that's something that I think the main surfer on these boards right now, the Paliola ones, is Miguel Blanco from Portugal, who was just on Stab Highway with us. And what he does is he kind of offsets that by painting the rails white so that it kind of makes the brown blank look like a stylistic choice as opposed to just like, you know, an old caramel shaded whatever surfboard. So I think that's one side of it. They also mentioned that density is different. So these boards are a little bit harder than the boards that top surfers would be riding like on the CT mostly. So they'll last longer, but they don't necessarily have as much feel to them or as much responsiveness. And I think that the only way that these become really mainstream, I think somebody basically has to win a world title on one of them and really kind of build that into their whole story. I think until that happens, these are going to always be a good option for people who are environmentally conscious, but are not going to be a go-to for most consumers. That's my thinking, at least. Yeah, I just think that's a weird aspect of surfing. Like, we could all admit that we can't surf the way that a world title winner will. And I I don't understand how you could take that fact and also take the fact that surfing literally came from people riding around on pieces of wood, just, just pieces of wood. Um, and so to now like compare (laughs) these, everybody's doing great work here, but I still just think it's so funny that we're like so attached to PU because we came from pieces of wood. Are we really having any more fun on what we're doing now? I don't think so. I think people sliding around on pieces of wood, we're having just as much fucking fun. So it seems like a weird kink, like, Oh, I'm never going to surf like, like John, John or Gabe, but I need to have their thing, even though it's not going to make me have more fun. I think I think that it's a, I'm going to write something on it. It's a different different thing, but I think it's just our. I don't understand why a new material has to replace PU. Why can't it just be something different that still works for 95% of the people? Um, anyway, anyway, another story. But yeah, this was a good read. I mean, it, it not only does it teach you about these updates but it also just gives you a deeper understanding of pu in general um i learned that some of the stuff the tdi that i refused to try to pronounce earlier is actually restricted in the eu which is why if you're not polyola which i mean they have other materials that are not restricted in the eu but basically that's why the eu is kind of hard to get blanks you have to get them all shipped in because um he says, hey, you can't you can't fucking work with that over here. So you learn a lot, and I'm optimistic for the future of Biofoam. Thank you, Pedro. By the way, Pedro, the who wrote this, he's great, and he has an art show in Lisbon tomorrow, which um, nobody is going to be able to attend by the time this goes live, but I'll be there. I'll be there, Pedro. The best post-surf foods ranked... This is probably the most controversial piece that we've published in my tenure at STAB. Paul Evans. Ever. Perhaps ever in the 20-year history of this organization. Paul Evans, he went for it. He chose 15 foods, ranked them, um, starting with <laughs> starting with foods that he wasn't in love with and ending on a food that he was. Mikey, it's so subjective. What were your thoughts? Do you think you did a good job? Okay, I'm going to start with a compliment. I think it's really great and really brave of Paul to go in there and not even provide an intro. Because really, the title says it all. 
everything that needs to be said. Yep. Um, and so he got right to it. He doesn't. He doesn't like kind of squabble with any. Like he doesn't bring up like, oh, you know, I thought about this, but then I realized that. Like no, he's just straight into. It. There's no foreplay. It's just straight into the 15 best in in very large quotations post surf foods. So I'll just go ahead and offend our Australian audience right away. Number 15 is avocado toast. So that's kind of the baseline where he starts at. And what really offended me was I got through this whole thing and I had one food on my mind the entire time. And it wasn't number 15, it wasn't number 12, it wasn't number 7, it wasn't even number 3. And then I got to the point, I was like, oh, wow, he's going to pick my food as number 1. That's really, like, I, I didn't really expect it from Paul necessarily, but there's no way he leaves it off the list, so he must have it as number one, and that's really cool. I'm going to be really proud. And then I get to number one, and it's, I mean, I don't even want, I'm not going to say what number one is. You're going to have to read it for yourself, but it just, it's, I mean, to even have that on the list is so offensive to pretty much anybody that's a human being. And to not have my food on the list, are you fucking kidding me? Uh Buck, I know that you... What do you want? You, acai bowls or, or the rice and beans? Yes, I wanted an acai bowl. Come on, man. An acai bowl doesn't even make the list? Like, it's literally pretty much... Didn't make the cut? The international food of post-surfing now. Obviously, it's new to the game, you know. Kelly Slater didn't make the cut. He had to get a wild card. <laughs> he didn't make the cut this year. It happens. <laughs> Come on. And I know that you were also offended by uh, something that was missing from the list, and I can also um, confirm that that should have been on the list, too. I know we come from the same place where it's a very prominent uh, post-surf food, but to not even see it on there is, yeah, just this whole piece really gets me. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it if you if you thought that that bowl was going to come and validate you at the end, but guess what, Mikey? It didn't. Um, yeah, the New York-style breakfast sandwich, is, which is what I called out in the comments, I get it's pretty obscure. I mean, the one thing that I thought was nice about this piece was that it just like it is. If you're a well-traveled surfer, you will you will understand. Like it, it does kind of break things down by region and play up these specialties that like uh, I guess now you can find a lot of stuff almost everywhere. But um, there are places that are known for certain things, so it kind of approached it from that angle, um, which you know made me think think back on all the great post-surf meals i've had but yeah the the new york style breakfast sandwich that for me is is should have been number one but maybe a little bit too obscure for this list i don't know if um i mean on the on the bagel the bacon egg and cheese or maybe maybe you're a taylor ham guy um it's just it's so good especially after you know in jersey normally you're coming in from a surf that was on the colder side and just something about that melted cheese everything just goes so well together to to just completely miss that in favor of whatever the fucking english breakfast thing was. well i guess you know there, there's certainly a regional bias here in terms of who's writing it but come on paul well you got to pick a lane too you're going melted cheese frozen acai you got to choose one you can't just d- demand everything no that's not I don't know. There's 15 spots. They both fill a very important part of post-surf culture, and neither of them have been elevated to really... I mean, this list is a sham at the end of the day. So um, I'm sorry to anybody reading it if you thought you were going to get some proper journalism, but this is not that. Go read it and go yell at us. (laughs) 
All right, what else we got cooking? Mike, you did a joyride this week. You tried a Jordy Smith board, Smith Shapes. You said a nine days out of ten just to keep in your keep in your card type board. That's right. Yeah, it's what Jordy Smith rides when he's not on tour, when he's a lazy boy doing real life stuff, and he's got an hour to go surf. He waxes this thing up and puts it through its paces at T Street or wherever the hell he's at in the world. It's just one of those boards you can just get on and go. It's no frills, nothing crazy about it. You may not do the best surfing of your life, but you will have fun on it nine times out of ten. Nine times? That's pretty good. That's more than I do. More than I do. We've also got a book review on the site. A book just came out, The Birth of the Endless Summer, a surf odyssey that was written by Jamie Brissick, who I hope you know and love and really adore. He's an incredible writer. Christian Bowcut wrote this review, and you could actually read the book. Through our site, we're offering a, th- a free 30-day trial so that you could access the platform Scribd? Scribed? It's definitely Scribed. Sorry, folks. I get every name <laughs> It's definitely scribed. You get access scribbed. Free 30-day <laughs> trial scribbed. <laughs> so go check that out. Um, we've also, we may have an update on interesting ISA Olympic situation. A little bit of the passport shimmy shimmy. So keep an eye out on the site for that. Uh, what else is going on? Big news. The Challenger Series is back. It is back. Bolito starts next week. Do not fucking miss it. We're back on, folks. We've also got some more good stuff coming on the site. We have got a story about how AI can change surfing. That is not Andy Irons. He already did that. That is artificial intelligence. Um, I will probably embed an Andy Irons clip into it because I can't resist that joke. It seems to be like a light, and I'm a moth to it. We're going to need to like figure out a different way to talk about artificial intelligence like we can't just keep calling it ai though right or else the real ai will lose its meaning yeah i don't know we have to we have to maybe we just have to spell it out the whole time how artificial we can't just say ai because yeah that's going to be it so there's a new pardon me uh how artificial intelligence will change surfing because uh ai already did and uh another good piece i'm excited to share with you is a deep dive into why surfing should scare you we'll talk about that next week it'll make a lot more sense now it's time for a sin Gentlemen, Feral Dan here with my surf sin. Uh, a couple of years ago, surfing out the front, this grom asked me what the time was. I was like, you know, I better do the right thing and exaggerate a bit just so he thinks he's running late for something really important and just paddles away. So I do that. I'm like, yeah, man, it's like 10 to 9, when it was actually only about 8.30. The look on the poor cunt's face, he just shit himself, jaw dropped, paddled straight in, didn't even catch a wave. I've never seen him since. He's probably dead somewhere because he missed something really important. Anyway, one less guy in the lineup. What's my penance? Also, Buck, surely your big dick can touch your butthole. Go fuck yourself. Huh. A lot of people saying he did the right thing, and he even starts by saying that. He figured he was going to do the right thing. Is that the right thing to do, Mikey? Oh, Feral Dan, this is a conundrum, if ever I have seen one. There were a lot of good comments when we posted this on Instagram, talking about whether it was a sin, whether it wasn't, 
And at the end of the day, though, he still he submitted this sin because he felt as though he deserved a penance. He felt wrong in his heart. I think when, you know, it's one thing to just have a kid be like, oh, man, you know, oh, shoot, I got to get my last wave in. But he put the fear of God in this kid and maybe caused some deeper traumatic issues that are going to haunt this um, child for decades to come. So I think that's really where the guilt comes from. Uh, some of my favorite comments on Instagram, one of them came from Chris Cote himself. Uh, you might know him from everything that he's ever done. And he said, he has to let me leave the outgoing message on his phone, and I will speak in my mo- worst, most exaggerated American commentary voice I can muster. And he has to leave it on there for a month. <laughs> <laughs> I got to say, I got to really, I fucking loved it. I got a good kick out of that. But at the same time, I didn't know that voicemail still existed. <laughs> um, I don't know, Chris, I'm not sure that that still exists. Does it still? Do people still have the thing? I feel like I just haven't heard an answering machine in, in like 10 years. Do they just go away? I don't get that far in the phone calling process. I let it ring three times, and if somebody doesn't answer, I just hang up and assume they'll call me back. Mm, mm. Yeah, even I guess maybe I'm thinking i usually have to call people on like facetime audio or whatsapp so maybe that's part of it too i like it chris i like it um let's try to make that happen either way uh yeah let's try to make that one happen i want to call green room times's comment as well his uh his penance even though he didn't think it was a sin he said that he has to wear a watch on the outside of his wetsuit and um yeah that's just i there's something about that that really just makes me ill so I get it. Um, yeah, you talked about putting the fear of God in the kid's eyes. I get it, but like, also, fuck, kind of fuck this kid. Like, what? What are you, an astronaut? You can't be twenty minutes late to something. <laughs> are you going space? <laughs> you know, if it was one thing, if it was an hour off, but twenty minutes, like, okay, fucking Neil Armstrong. All right. So, what's your penance? My penance is. I mean, time is. An incredible force. Um, give anything enough time, things change. It's, it's time. Time is incredible. So even though it is only 20 minutes of this little astronaut fucker's time, it is still taking 20 minutes from somebody. And so I want Feral Dan to give 20 minutes back. And so if you're looking to give back, there are a lot of organizations around the world that you can choose to give back to that are in desperate need of people's time and energy. And so I had a good think and tried to find the one that I thought would be most in need of somebody's time and energy. And so he's got to watch a qualifying series event for 20 minutes. Okay. That seems pretty easy. We, we, I think at one point you gave somebody a penance of having to sit through an entire QS on the beach. Yeah. Well, this kid did, this guy did the right thing and he sent the kid in. It's just 20 minutes. Just watch 20 minutes of it. And actually, sorry, one stipulation was um, you could do it online, but you have to be active in the comments the whole time and hopefully get into an argument. Yeah. And maybe like, you know, especially the QS probably has a lot of young surfers in it. Uh, maybe you can just DM one of the surfers in that heat with just some like some, you know, some uh, constructive criticism as well. Yeah, I like it. I like it. What do you got? Okay, so, I mean, the guy's name is Feral Dan. Great name. He doesn't strike me as somebody who'd be, like, 
particularly beholden to responsibilities in life. So the fact that he is a watch guy is surprising to me, but maybe he runs like a tech company or something. I don't know. Uh, It just, if he is a watch guy, it means to me that he has a reason to wear it. So I'm going to actually take that away from him for a month. He's not allowed to wear it for a month. And he basically needs to live and die by the sword. You know, that kid put a lot of faith in him. Now he's going to have to put a lot of faith in the people around him in the lineup. And he's going to find out for himself if, you know, others are going to show him kindness or contempt. He's going to find out if karma is real or a farce. And we can just continue to keep being shitty to one another without any consequences. Or, you know, yeah, I just I just think he needs to live and die by the sword a little bit here. You think Feral Dan runs a tech company? What's his tech? DVDs? <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'm saying that the watch connection with him it was surprising to me but i assume like i said he's wearing it for a reason so we're going to take that uh privilege away from him and he's going to have to go out into the world and live life on other people's time scales and whatever they tell him he's got to sort of take it at face value i like it i like it and uh there you go, folks. If you need any DVDs, give Feral Dan a call. And uh, if he doesn't answer, you'll hear Chris Cote's voice. So we'll see you next week. Thank you, as always, for listening to The Drop. If you have a surf sin of your own, feel free to send it into michael at stabmag.com or bucketstabmag.com. We want the videos filmed vertically on your phone. 60 seconds or less and if you get selected you'll be aired on stab's instagram and this podcast and you will win a stab premium membership lots to talk about still in the elo front i'm sure a lot's going to unfold stace and i are going to be back early next week to discuss the winners losers and everything in between in brazil which of course will include the ceo so with that over and out